right. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Yeah, it's one of those things that uh, foster care. It's one of those things I think that so often when we when we think about foster care, we 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 love the idea, right, of people helping children. And and one of the things I think that we rarely do is is really sit back and think about the impact. And so this morning, I want to kind of paint a picture for you real quick that I think Audrey's done a great job of painting here. Because in this moment, right, of taking this old suitcase, uh, tattered teddy bear, in this picture, what's missing is the fact that there are police officers and defects officers who are literally standing right beside them, taking them out of the only home they've ever known. And I simply say that because when we think about foster care, like, yeah, this is great, this is great, this is great. But these are real children with real dreams and real families that get ripped out in the moment. And so when we think about doing foster care, like, I want you to feel the gravity and weight of that. Like, I want to think about what if all of a sudden your children were ripped out of your family and put somewhere else, right? And, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's... Really heavy, Steve, and that's not why I came this morning. It's a little too heavy for, for diving into the service, right? But, but the picture I want you to have is that's why we do foster care. Because we want to put these children into homes with people who love Jesus. We want to put them into homes with people that can bring healing and restoration to their life and know where to lead them. We want to put them into families with people who are not looking for a check from the state but are looking for ways to minister and be Jesus to them. It's why we do foster care. Scripture is very clear. God puts the lonely in families. And that's what happens here. Literally taking these children who, who, if they're in high school, many times they get put into a hotel for a night or two and told, hey, here's a phone number if you need me. I'll see you in the morning, right? And they walk in with absolutely nothing. And so we say, man, we... We feel called to be family. Like that's the value of the Jewish value of hospitality says we want to take strangers and bring them into our home until they become our family. That's the that this is Jewish value of hospitality where you see it best expressed. Well, in Acts chapter two, 42 through 47 says every day we're going to look at it later. Thousands being added to their number, and then they were being broken up and then going to people's homes and eating, breaking bread together, studying the apostles' teaching. Who was coming into their homes? Strangers until they became family. And so as we sit here this morning, we talk about foster care. May that reality compel you to pray, right? May it propel you to say, man, God, how can I do something? You may not be a foster parent. It may not fit your life Right now, hey, and, and that's fine, but how can you get plugged in? What can you do? Because we say at Vintage, you don't have to necessarily do exactly what everyone else is doing, but at least do something in the context of foster care. If it's making a meal, if it's in taking some kids for the day and teaching them how to hit a golf ball or fish or how to sew or how to paint, whatever it may be, whether it's just doing anything, it doesn't really matter. Because my goal would be this, Caden, she leaves on Friday to go home. Like, that's really hard for us. Like, Caden's been with us since January. We've been in tears in some degree for the last several weeks, knowing that she's going home. That is overwhelming. And the idea is, some people say, I just couldn't do it because my heart would get so attached. 
And I would go, that's just the nature of the kingdom. It's called, I sacrifice and die so that somebody else may live. That's the kingdom principle. Jesus came to earth to die so that we could live. Foster cares. I bring them into my home knowing that when I leave, part of me is going to suffer. Part of me is going to feel like it's dying, but it was worth it to bring redemption for this little girl who literally three weeks ago when we did baptisms, on one of our extended family next door, Brenton Kendra Smith, their daughter Brinley got baptized. She thinks Brinley hung the moon, and she watched Brinley get baptized, and she said, can, what is baptism and can I do it? Do you know who answered her? Anna Catherine. I didn't answer her. Anna Catherine discipled her in the moment. And Anna Catherine's like, it means you love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Right? It was a great question, right? Very direct, straightforward. And kids like, yeah, I love Jesus, right? But it was this beautiful picture, right? This beautiful picture of, of asking and, and compelling, of loving. And when she leaves, it's going to hurt like hell. It's going to feel like death. And you know what Jesus is going to say to us? Well done. Well done. Well done. We don't do it to get a pat on the back. We do it because we don't love the kids. But the pat on the back is nice. I'm just saying, right? Let's be honest. Thank you, Jesus. All right? But we do foster cares because we believe these are children who get ripped out of their homes and they need people. Do you know who loves like we work at Faith Bridge. Do you know who loves Faith Bridge more than anybody else in our region? Bartow County. Their juvenile judge goes, oh my gosh, you're with Faith Bridge? Are you serious? Oh my gosh, we love Faith Bridge because the families are different. And we're like, yeah, because they love Jesus. And she's like, I know. She knows that. That's why she loves us. We sat down and she was like asking us questions and talking. It's great, right? So we do foster care. We want to invite you into foster care. Do you have to foster to make us happy and to make Jesus happy? Absolutely not. But if you're part of the vintage family, we're just asking you to do something. Just asking you to do something in the context of foster care. I'm not going to come and ask you, so Tim, have you done your foster care duty for the year? I'm not going to do that. Right? It's between you and Jesus. That's not who I am. But I invite you. I don't know what's going on. Timothy, did you do what did you do? No, but do something. Get connected. Connect. You know, all the things that we're doing at Vince's or some ways get plugged in. We'd like to invite you into that. All right. So let's dive in this morning. We are um, we've, we're at the very end, the last official Sunday of our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality study that we've been doing for the last couple of months. Right. And so we've gotten to the end of it. and We have our last week right here. Let me just say this to all of you. A couple of things. EHS. The study as a church may be over, but we're grafting in that the ideas of EHS into the body as a whole. Because we recognize and believe all of us have emotionally unhealthy areas that have affected our spiritual life. Things that have occurred in our past, things that we believe, things from our family of origin that have been so ingrained into who we are that we don't even realize they're an obstacle to us living our real life, loving God, and loving our neighbor. And so we want to graft these pieces in and say, moving forward, man, we, we want to rec- we recognize that you, like you all recognize that you're continually until you, literally for the rest of your life, even when you get into heaven, you're being transformed. Like you know that, right? Like you never stop learning. 
You will get to heaven and it'll be this continual, never ending journey of learning more and more and more because you can never exhaust the knowledge of who God is. And so we're continually being transformed and God is continually saying, hey, I love you too much to let you stand with these obstacles in your life. So he comes in great love with great compassion, puts his finger on them and says, hey, I know that you have issues of growth. I know you have areas from your past. I know you have obstacles and I want to put my finger on them to name them so the obstacles can be removed so I can fully pour out my love into your life and empower you to love fully. And so that's where we are in this process, this ongoing peace, continually talking through these things. So let me just say this. If you didn't read the book or engage the study because you thought it was lame, then you completely missed out, and I'm not sure you heard Jesus. Because God told us very clearly as an entire staff, vintage has to go through this to be who I've called them to be. I know you're like, that's really strong, Steve, and I'm not sure I agree with you. That's fine. You go ask Jesus. God, are there areas in my life that you want to put your finger on and to grow me? Because there always are. We were just trying to help you. If you haven't read the book, then please go read it. Please go read it, because there are things that God wants to put his finger on. This week, we're going to look at the last chapter, which is this. Going the next step to develop a rule of life. Going the next step to develop a rule of life. The thing we have to recognize is that when we talk about relationship, any relationship, we have to recognize that you have to be intentional about every relationship that you are in. God is intentional with us. We must be intentional with him. And then moving forward then is going to require intentionality as we go the next step. The idea of a rule of life, it has this in mind. Common practices, rule of life, common practices we engage which deepen our ongoing relationship with Jesus. Common practices we engage, which deepen our ongoing relationship with Jesus. Each of us realize this, that for a relationship of any form to remain strong, for any relationship to remain vibrant, it requires intentional investment, open lines of communication, and it demands time. No relationship thrives apart from these ingredients. Our emotional health and our spiritual life will be dependent on our intentionality of being with and investing into our relationship with Jesus. So just press pause. Be a lot of sermon talk. And all it basically means is this. Doesn't mean go have a quiet time with Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it requires in your life to grow into the God, person God's called you to be, a high level of intentionality in your relationship with him. In the same way you recognize, you have to be intentional with your best friends and your spouse to maintain a healthy relationship with them. The rule of life, and this is on the screen, means an intentional plan that we build to keep God at the center of everything that we do. An intentional plan. 
an intentional plan that we build to keep God at the center of everything we do, right? It involves practices that we choose to engage every day so we stay near to and sharp in our relationship with him. And it begins with the desire to be with God and to love him. It begins, begins with the desire to be with God and to love him. So press pause again. Let's start here. Where are you? How strong is your desire to be with God and to love him is the natural component of your everyday life. Like, I'm not going to make you stand up and I'm not going to grade you, right? I'm not going to do that. But I wonder for you, like, if you're fully honest, how strong is your desire to be with God, to, to hear his voice say, I love you, to say back, I love you, to, to walk our lives, to be with God, and to serve alongside of God, right? They don't, here's the deal. We don't necessarily, it's very rare, like I would say this, we don't necessarily ever serve God. We serve with God. Scripture is really clear. We co-labor with him. Service is always in the context of doing it with him. So I'm never serving God as he's sitting here watching me. I'm always serving alongside him. He's always the one with us who's pulling up the boots, who's putting on the gloves, and then doing life with us, right? That's the nature of who he is. We don't serve God. We serve with God. And so in the context of this, of this, like we are, we are having this desire to be loved, to love, and to serve alongside of him. And it begins with us being honest about, like, do you have a desire to be with him, to be loved by him, to love him, to serve alongside of him? Do you? Do you? Like, is it, is it the overarching, the greatest expression of what you experience in life? Is it what overwhelms your thinking even in the midst of doing your job? Do you think about Jesus, being loved by Jesus, loving him and serving alongside of him? The word rule is taken from a Greek word, which simply means trellis. There's a picture on the screen right here of a trellis. So you've all seen these before, right? It's a trellis. It's this, uh, it's this wooden structure that we build so that plants can grow up it, right? So the early church fathers created this rule of life. They, called, they used the word rule, the trellis of life, this, this grid that we use, right, that we build to support not the planting of, not the growth of plants in our lives, right? But the growth of our spiritual life. That we build a trellis that our spiritual life can build upon. And so the idea here, like literally with plants, you, you build this so plants can grow up it intentionally. So we're building this trellis, this framework intentionally that our spiritual life can grow on. That's the whole premise of this chapter, a focus on building a framework on which our relationship with Jesus can grow. So I wonder if I press pause again, like, do you, do you know what your framework is? Like, do you know what the trellis is that you've built that can sustain a life-giving relationship with Jesus? And you know it's life-giving relationship with Jesus, so when all hell breaks loose in your life, it can withstand it? Like, do you have a framework of relationship with Jesus that can withstand hell breaking loose in your life? That's how we know there's a healthy framework. And so the idea of this chapter, let's build a framework. Let's be intentional of building this framework 
which can withstand a healthy and cause a substantial and healthy growth into our relationship with Jesus. Like in our namesake, the Acts chapter 2, 42, that all went into verse 47, we, we see a framework, we see a trellis that's been built. Look, just read with me on the screen from these, these scriptures. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. Devotion means intentionality, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he or she had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what we, what I want you to see, I'm just kind of going to go through this list. It'll be on the screen. Go to the next screen, next screen for me. Because what I want you to see is, is the, these rules of life, the kind of trellis they built. They built a commitment to learning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? So one of the, the pieces they built into their community was was a commitment to learning through the apostles' teaching. They were committed to life together. So they were doing life together, right? They were committed to the fellowship. They were committed to the Lord's table, which was not just coming up and taking communion, but literally sitting at a table together and doing a wonderful meal together in the purpose of celebrating what God's, Jesus' sacrifice. It wasn't just this. It was any time they ate food together. Third thing is they were committed to prayer, because that's what it says, prayer. They were committed to giving. So they said they had everything in common. Like, do you understand how that works? Like, they had everything in common where if we get into a room together and you have a need and I have it, then it belongs to you too. Sacrificially giving the best of ourselves, our energy and our resources. They were committed to worship together. It says they praised God and then they were committed to, to gathering together. It kind of has this feel of like a church gathering. Because it says every day they can continue to meet together. What all I want you to see in this is you see their rule of life. You see the trellis that they've built to withstand a healthy spiritual life. All of these pieces, they didn't, listen, they didn't do these out of legalism because someone taught them in Sunday school to do it. They did it because they knew a relationship with God and with one another demands intentionality. So these are the things that we embrace. The word that speaks most directly here to the rule of life is the word devotion. Devotion, you know that word. It speaks to an ongoing loyalty in this both to God and to church with intentional practices that cause them to go deep. In both areas. One of the things that I find interesting in church, when we talk about practices, when we talk about actions like prayer, talk about actions like Bible study, we talk about worship, we talk about gathering together, it's really interesting that we name those things legalism when they are just practices that we engage to build relationship when in our marriages, if we don't create intention, like we, we create intentional practices because we know our relationship demands it if it's going to grow. Do you see what I'm getting at? Like we call it legalism because we're in church, but we call it necessary in our relationship with our spouse. 
that we literally say, man, we have to stop and spend time together. We have to stop and pray or communicate with one another. We, we have to sit down and, and process life, right? We have to be together. We have to take date nights. We have to go on vacation together. We have to talk, right? We name these things, these trellises, right? We, we name this rule of life and marriage of the things that we need to do. And we say they're necessary practices for us to grow in our relationship. But when we name them in church, we call it legalism. And we have to recognize We have to be intentional with our practices, the same in our relationship and our marriage relationship with Jesus, or it's going to die and stop using the word legalism because we're lazy. We have to engage these things. Why? Because we will die if we don't. It's not Jesus frustrated because we're like, oh, we're not being a good Christian. He's saying, I want to relate to you, but I can't because you're not building an intentional time, this intentional trust, this framework of practices that allows my grace to flow. I have literally, if you'll just plug the hose, the, it's this thing about hoses for a moment, right? The like practices or like hoses that we connect to all these water sources. And unless we connect our hose, the water source, he can't turn on the faucet. It's a gift to us. Practices are a gift to us to empower us in relationship with him. So his grace, his water, his living water can flow. I pray for life. I read the Bible for life. I read the Bible so I can turn the faucet on and receive the fullness of God's love for me. I worship to turn on the faucet of God's grace and presence because he just wants to be near to me. The struggle we face in life, the struggle that we all face in life and the growth of our relationship with Jesus, the struggle we face in relationship with Jesus is you and I naturally, listen, we never naturally drift towards God. You can't just do nothing and drift towards God. How many of you know your marriage will be lame and suffer if you don't intentionally invest into it? You can't say, ooh, I got married and now I'm done. No, man, it's going to be awful. You'll be a terrible husband, a terrible wife. It requires intentionality. We never just move towards God. We honestly never just naturally drift towards our friends. We don't spend time with them and invest into it. We don't naturally drift towards our spouse unless we intentionally invest into it. If we don't choose to live our life in God with intention, we will find ourselves unintentionally not living in God at all. This is the rule of life. He's saying intentional, giving time, giving the best of your energies, not leftovers. I mean, guys, how would your, how would your wife feel to say, oh, babe, I'll give my leftovers today? That would not go over well. No sex for months, I'm just saying. Don't ever say that. Our culture pulls at us incessantly. Let's read from Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read it from the message from Eugene Peterson. It's not a little bit different, but I want to read it to you. I felt like it was in language that, my gosh, really fits where we are and how we feel in these moments. You can read on the screen with me. It says this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and walking around life, and I want you to place it before God as an offering. 
Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll recognize that he You'll recognize what he wants from you, and you'll quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I mean, let's not think legalism. Let's think intentionality of a relationship like every other relationship that you understand in life. You want, listen, I want to be close to my children. So I intentionally make time and create practices that make that happen. I want to be close to my spouse. So I intentionally set up practices and make time for that to happen. We have, we have a trellis. We have formed practices that cause our relationship to be strong. If you've ever, listen, because it needs to be, because you've ever been around us, we butt heads with the best of them. We're super strong personalities. We both think we're always right. And when we talk, it usually gets loud. It's just the way that we do it. And you know what? We're never concerned about our marriage. Never. We never worry about our relationship. We never go, oh my gosh, what if she doesn't like me today? Or like, I look at her and say, I do not like you at all today. Literally, like, I, we literally say that. I, I can I do not like you. I love you, but I do not like you. In fact, I don't want to be around you. You're like, oh my gosh, my pastor's what? No, girl, like, we're so secure. Because sometimes with Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, I just don't like you right now. Because you didn't do what I thought you were going to do. This suffering is happening. I love you. Have you ever read the Psalms? Have you ever read, you ever read the Lamentations? They do the same thing. But we had this foundation. We built a trellis of communication and relationships. So we're good. We're firm. Because we dive into it. We invest into it. James 4.8 paints the real clear picture. Draw near to God and he draws near to you. Invest in, put, plug in the hose and he'll turn on the water faucet. It's just how it works, right? One thing I found interesting, this is like, this is like an aside. <clears throat> I thought it was interesting. I wrote it down. I find it interesting in scripture that there's not much time spent teaching or telling people about how to do the practices of the spiritual life. Like he, the, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. But it wasn't because they weren't praying. It's because they just wanted to do it like Jesus did it. And so I started thinking, like, why? Why didn't they do much teaching on this? Like, why do you not see much mention of it in Scripture? Is it because it's not important? Or is it because it was already so ingrained in the culture and everybody was already doing it, there was no need to teach it? Like it says again in Scripture, and the disciples, as was their custom, would go up to the temple to pray at 6 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and 9 o'clock, six times a day. 
They would stop and pray, Daniel, you've read it. He got thrown in the lion's den. Why? Because he had built a trellis of every three hours, stopping in the middle of his day, going to his room, opening up the, opening up the windows, and then praying towards Jerusalem. They didn't have to teach it because the practices in the trellis were already ingrained as a primary value. That's why every young boy had to learn the first five books of the Bible. The Torah. Had to go learn it. Had to memorize it. Because scripture study, it's just part of their culture. It was part of a value that they earned. We've lost it. That's why now we have to teach it. We've lost the practices that actually enable us to relate to God. You can't say, well, I'm just going to do this over here and it not be any, like, and just kind of focus on your own personal life and what feels good, right? And then not do anything with God. Like, you have to take these practices, build intentional, intentional trellis, intentional trellis of these practices that help us engage and connect with Jesus. So, here are just five practical steps for us in the context of looking at this. And these are things that they are not real practical. Like, you've got to own them and look at them. But so there's some practicals out for you. Number one, in settling on your rule of life, number one, ask God and use common sense. What do I mean by that? So I, there are these practices. We're going to look at 12 of them here in a minute. There are lots of practices, though, you can em, em, embrace. But number one, you have to ask God to lead you. God, what, what, and what do you want me to dive into? What practices, Father, do you want me to invest into? The second part of this, and I want you to hear this. This is going to like make some of you happy. Use common sense, right? Because the Holy Spirit has, has engulfed us. And so what does that mean? It means if I am overwhelmed and stressed to the point that I can barely function, and because I've been so inundated with information, then common sense says I probably need to be silent and Take some time in solitude, right? And Because you've been given common sense. A spirit-anointed common sense. Spirit-led common sense. Like if you're really struggling communicating with Jesus and you realize you haven't prayed in six weeks, then common sense says you should probably go pray and have a conversation with Jesus, right? It's not rocket science. You'll go, oh, Jesus, what should I do to hear from you? go, just Pray, right? Common sense, you already know what to do so often. So ask God, relate to him, and just use common sense. Number two, stay flexible on the journey. Stay flexible on the journey. I mean, like, our journey contains all these different things that we're dealing with. We have all these things we process in the season that we're in. So what I mean is this. Stay flexible. In this certain season over here, there are certain practices that you engage that may be exactly what you need. And then you change season of life, and you come over here, and you're like, mm, that one, that practice isn't really helping me out the best. So I'll engage these practices that fit the season that I'm in. So what do I mean by that? Well, there's been seasons, guys, I didn't pick up my Bible. What? No, because I'm like... Jesus, I don't have the, I I just can't get any more information. I just need to rest in your presence. So I'm just going to sit here in silence without any information coming in and just let your presence overwhelm me. Like there are moments sitting on our couch at home with my wife, like we don't feel like we have to talk all the time to feel like we're connecting Sometimes we can just sit close enough where our butts touch, right? 
and it's just enough for the entire night. You know what I mean? Like, don't you hate how we've made being with Jesus so freaking religious? Can I get an amen, somebody? Like, we get to this place of saying, like, oh, i got to do all the things to make God happy. It's like, sometimes I just want to be with you. I told you the story before, right? After um, the season of really kind of going after Jesus, and I was waking up early. And I told you the story. I'm going to tell it again for those who haven't heard it, right? I was, literally, I was at Wesley at Georgia. I'm really hot, Greg. Could you turn the air conditioning on right there for me, bro? Everyone's going to thank you and love you for it. So, <clears throat> hey, I'm going to do my best impersonation of Sheila Fortier. I can see her out the corner of my eye right there. <laughs> can you just come fan me? Right, that'd be even better. How many things are you fanning yourself? Oh, you have a real fan. Man, you should sell those. All right, <clears throat> get the proceeds of vintage. So, here you go, foster care. Hello. So, anyway, in this dynamic, right, I'm literally, I'm sitting down. I've decided in this season of relationship with Jesus, I'm going to wake up every morning at 5 a.m. I'm going to meet my buddies at the Wesley Foundation, man, this college ministry report. And we're just going to go pray. 5 a.m. for college students. 5 a.m. do anything constructive at 5 a.m. college student. It doesn't go together, right? So anyway, so we would go and like, and like nobody would show up. Like we, one person would show up and like, oh dude, I'm so sorry, man, I slept in. But God told me to fall asleep. I'm like, whatever, right? So, so this one morning I come, it's just, it's just me, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Father, right? Just hanging out together, just by myself with Him in, in this room and, and I'm praying and I, and I'm literally like, I'm in a, I'm in a lazy boy recliner which is never good for prayer at 5 a.m. in the morning, I'm just saying. And, and so literally, I'm like sitting on the edge of the chair, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like gritting my teeth and clenching my butt to stay awake. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like this, Jesus, and I'm trying to pray, and my mind's wandering, and I'm doing all this right. And no lie, no lie, y'all. This is, as, I mean, as, as true as true can be. I just feel like God say, just lay back and take a nap. And I went, and all of a sudden I saw this, saw this image as a small baby sitting on the on the chest. And, and as I looked at it, the picture, grew like this, and I realized it was like a Santa Claus-looking man who was kind of asleep himself, just holding this baby on his chest. And God said, "When you wake up, I'll be here." And guys, I laid back as if I was laying back on that big man's chest, and I slept like I hadn't slept in a long time. And when I woke up, I woke up into the presence of Jesus and said, thank you for loving me. That's what I'm talking about, right? In the context of, of this stay flexible, sometimes, man, sometimes you've got to read, you've got to get in, and sometimes you just need to sit still and just feel the presence of God's butt connected to yours, right? You know what I'm saying? Enjoy his presence. Let him love on you. Die to religion. Number three, give yourself another grace, right? It says give grace of slow development. Do you know, this is going to shock some of you, Jesus is not in a hurried rush for you to become perfect in spending time with him. Like, Things for God are urgent, but he's never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. Jesus, listen, you may look at your life at the list of practices and realize, man, I've not really engaged any of them. You may feel overwhelmed at the prospect of doing all of them, but you've got to give yourself grace and focus on one 
and then ask God to help you. Say, God, I'm going to be really bad at this, but will you help me? God cares more about your ongoing growth than he does your instant perfection. God cares more about your ongoing growth than he does your instant perfection. If it takes you three years to master silence and solitude, well, man, it's three years well spent going after Jesus. Like, listen, like my dad sitting here today, he took me fishing. There's a porta potty at the bottom of Lake Lanier. I've been fishing with him so long. He would, he would take me fishing and he would love me when I was four or five fishing and get frustrated all at the same time. You know that tension, right? And he'd keep on taking me and he'd keep on taking me and he'd keep on taking me. And to the point, like I went from being a bad fisherman and a bad partner to being awesome. You better say amen, Dad. Come on now, Greg. That was a great partner. That was a great partner. I'd come in. I'd help in the tournaments. I'd catch fish. I would lip his fish for him, right? We would work together and figure out where to go, and we would win tournaments. Thank God. Praise God, right? No, it took time. We had to develop that. That's the nature of God. He's a good father who recognizes it takes time to get good at something. He's not worried about being the perfect partner immediately as we co-labor with him. He gives us grace to, to work and to fail, work and to fail, work and to fail, and work and to fail. Until all of a sudden one day I wake up, we're like, I think we got this, Jesus. He's like, yes, well done. And you're welcome for my grace to give you the ability to do it, right? Number four, journey together. John Wesley said, there is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. There is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. Listen, runners running for a PR, a personal record, do best if someone's either pushing them or they're chasing somebody. They need other people to run with them. You can't run well or as well by yourself as you can with others. Journey together. And number five, get intentional. Get intentional. Settle on your rule of life. Determine your rule of life. Begin to say, God, what's the, what's this trellis that I'm going to build for our relationship? And here's the thing. I'm going to about to name 12 of them. Pick one. Or pick two, depending on how like, an, an ambitious you are, and go after those in this season. So let's go through some of the lists just to name these. First one, be under the context of prayer. So first, some of these you really con, uh, we recognize clearly, engaging scripture, very obvious, silence and solitude. Great chapter in the book helps name this piece. I will say this, if there's one practice that American Christians need to learn is how to be silent and sit in solitude. Our inability to be by self shows a high level of emotional unhealth. We have to learn to be silent and learn to live with, and, and so God can speak into those places. We have to learn to be silent, sit in solitude so we can hear Jesus. Number three is a daily office. We talked about that at length, simply slowing down. To be with Jesus three or four times a day is the primary work of your day. And number four is study, whether it's a Bible or other books, is giving yourself to growing and learning. Next one, keep on going. Rest. Rest, we talked about Sabbath at length, but maybe it's a practice you're going to engage of learning Sabbath or, or simplicity. Simplicity simply means removing distractions. And not just like removing physical, like getting rid of my car, getting rid of my whatever. No, it's like removing like 
actions, activities that you do? Do you realize that, that we are the busiest people in the world giving ourselves to good things, but they're actually distractions to what God has for us? What is God telling you to really devote yourself to and pull back from? Number three, play in recreation. I mean, the word recreation, the root word is to recreate us. Like in the context of life, let me say this, like fishing, I joke about it all the time, but I mean, fishing is one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given me. Why? Because in the middle of my day, I can say, Jesus, I mean, I'll literally say this, Jesus, let's just think about fishing for a bit. And I will literally go to Lake Lanier or go to Lake Oconee in my mind or go to Lake Eufaula in my mind. I will replay tournaments my dad and I fished or days that we, we had that were great. I will replay these as gifts from the Lord. And when I go fishing, I literally sit down and say, Jesus, before I, on my way, God, thank you for today that I get to go be recreated as I give myself in fishing in nature. And I don't know what it is for you. But God creates this nature of play and recreation. It's something that we need to engage. The next one, keep on going, under work. Work. So for us, in the context of our lives with Jesus, it has to be a practice of, of service and mission. That we literally, listen, I said, we don't ever serve God. We serve with God. And so he's saying, man, some of the practice we have to engage is actually serving and loving people. Giving your life away. The second thing is care for the physical body. This is a really interesting one. Read the chapter. Read the, the, the paragraph on it. But he, th- he talks about it. It's like, one of the greatest things that we can do in a relationship with Jesus is be aware of our body and what it's telling us. So if I'm getting really stressed out, it's a gift from God that he's allowing to put your finger to be put on it so you can figure out what's stressing you out so that you can hand it over to him. Does that make sense? He allowed you to feel worry. Why? So he can show you your insecurities and your control issues. Put his finger on this so you can hand it back over to him. Christians aren't supposed to worry, ever. Fourth one's relationships as a practice. Emotional health. Peter Scazzaro, he says, literally in my life, in my relationship with God, I'm always asking him, God, would you put your finger on the areas of life where I need to grow and become emotionally healthy? Second one is family. You understand that one, a practice of engaging your family, spiritual family, physical family, and then relationships of community, right? A practice of really engaging. Some of you are such introverts and you're such lone rangers. The practice that God is calling you into is to build some friendships and then in a trusting relationship, share your concerns and have them pray for you. I'm done. Jason, you can come. Or Tate, you can come forward. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take some time in worship. Daniel's going to have his finger on these list of things and be rotating. Like every 30 seconds, he's going to work out that finger and do this and push to the next one. Looking at the prayer, working at the, see, yeah, working at the prayer, working at the rest, all these pieces in here, right, looking at them. And part of what I want you to do this morning is this, a couple of responses. Number one, if you want, we have ministry teams available. We would love to pray for you about anything going on in your life, literally any weight that you're carrying, any area in need of healing, any kind of restoration, anything that you just want someone to pray for you about, ministry teams will be available, and they're going to pray for you. Offering baskets, always available right here for you to come in the context of worship and give your offering before the Lord. Communion available to celebrate God's work in our lives. But what I'm asking you also to do this morning is take time and go, all right, Jesus, the trellis, intentional practices. God, I'm sorry for making it religious. 
God, I thank you that you've made, you've made ways. You've made these hoses I can plug straight into the water source, and you cannot wait to turn them on. Jesus, help me to build from this list one or two primary practices I'm going to give myself to this week to grow in our relationship together. What does it look like for you? Let's engage them. Let's let's let let's ask and then let God speak those into our lives. Let's become different people. Let's become more complete people who relate to God, know him well, walk fearless and confident in him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your movement. And Lord, I ask today, God, as we come into this time, that you would, we ask, God, for that kairos moment. God, this which means just meaningful time, a time, Lord, where time outside stops. And we just have this interdynamic with you, Lord, of you speaking, of you changing, of you challenging, God, where we don't feel rushed to go to the next spot, but just to slow down to be with you. Lord, we ask We're asking for help, God, to build this rule of life. And I pray that you would give us help today, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. He responds, the Lord leads. Let me say this, and then we'll be done. Next week, we're going to take some time on Sunday morning and hear your stories of how God was moving in this study, the things that God was doing. So instead of hearing from me next week, we want to hear from you. So please be in prayer this week of what God would have you say, what God would have you communicate. No more than two minutes because we're going to have the more people sharing, the better, okay? And so prepare yourself. You can let me know, and we'll shoot an email out this week to all of you. But just be thinking about that and come prepared to share next week. All right. You guys have a great week. We're officially done here. Tate will release you all in a bit as we worship. But let's come this morning. Let's worship. Let's relate to God and let's hear from him.